0: So many of us don't live life. Life lives us, and I think it's up to us to really live consciously. This is why mindfulness is so important.
1: Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. how they feed their good wolf.
2: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
1: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job
0: as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor.
2: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
1: Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Richard Williams, better known by the stage name Prince EA. He's an American spoken word artist, poet, rapper, filmmaker, and speaker. After graduating magna cum laude from the University of Missouri-St. Louis with a full scholarship and degree in anthropology, he started and popularized the Make Smart Cool movement to promote values like intelligence, free thought, unity, and creativity in hip-hop music and culture. In 2014, Prince EA shifted his focus from music to creating motivational and inspirational spoken word films and content. And his YouTube videos have received over 3 billion views. And he discovers a wide range of topics such as environmentalism, race, work-life balance, and spirituality. Princier's work is widely recognized, including Oprah's Super Soul 100 and Forbes' 30 Under 30. Hi, Prince. Welcome to the show. Eric!
0: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on.
3: Yeah, I am really excited to talk with you. You talk about a lot of the same things that we talk about on this show in your videos, and your courses, and so I think we're going to have a lot in common here. But before we get to all that, we'll start like we always do with a parable. In the parable, there's a grandparent who's talking with their grandchild, and they say, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandchild stops. They think about it for a second and they look up at their grandparent. and They say, well, which one wins? And the grandparent says, the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do.
0: Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, funny, I wanted to film a video on that a long time ago, and I still might because it's such a powerful, potent story. It's a parable, right? It's hundreds of years old. So Mm -hmm. it's time-tested. And what does it mean to me? It means that we have a choice. I have a choice. And I think it comes down to the two wolves, which for me, it's either fear or it's love. I think these are the two forces that play in our dimension in which we inhabit on this planet. And I think at every moment, we have that choice to choose either fear, limitation, anger, this very negative vibration, I would call it, or we could choose love, which is more open, which is more compassionate. And I think the more that you feed one of them, the more that will grow, right? And it was Thich Nhat Han who said he says nothing can grow without food. Not the anger, not the hatred, and also not the joy, not the happiness. So that's what it means to me. And it's a it's a very powerful, powerful metaphor for life. And it really comes down to each moment. W- which are we feeding in each moment. Each decision, because that's what our lives are, right? It's an accumulation of the small moments. There's a movie I love. It's uh, Vanilla Sky. I don't know if you remember that film with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. Mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, It's a beautiful film. One of my favorites. Haven't seen it in years, but I always remember this quote in the movie. He says, oh, the little things, there's nothing bigger. Hmm. So it's the little choices. Are we going to choose fear or are we going to choose love? Yeah, and
3: I think what's interesting about what you just said about little choices is that it's the little choices, and it seems like the choices are inconsequential. They're so Mm. little, Hmm. right? And there's so many little moments of them. And they feel like, well, there's not really a good or bad here. There's not a love or fear here. This is just I'm making my coffee. I mean, I'm going to do the next thing. Mm. But but it really is, as you're saying, the more intentionality we can Mm. bring to our choices. I was reading something. I always forget where I get what I get from my guests, but it was something you had said about some scientists believe we make 35,000 choices a day. Mm. And you said, I don't believe that to be Hmm. true because so many of those choices are happening automatically, right? We're not conscious of the choice. We're not Hmm. conscious of which wolf might be getting fed. You know, it's just the default autopilot. And again, some of that's a human advantage, right? I can't make every choice. I can't be deliberately moving my hand right now, right? It's just kind of, it's doing its thing. But the more of them that are deliberative, Hmm. you know.
0: Mm, 100%. It's habits, You know, I think we all know James Clear, Atomic Habits, right? One of the most powerful books written in the last freaking decade. It's all about cultivating those habits because, you know, they say the first part of our lives, we make our habits. And the last part, our habits make us. (laughs) I think that's so true. And it's so important for us to get in front of these habits while we still got a chance. um, Because... We really don't want to be a victim of life. So many of us don't live life. Life lives us. And I think it's up to us to really live consciously. This is why mindfulness is so important, to be mindful as you're pouring the coffee and you're not just thinking about, okay, what do I have to do at work? I'll tell you a parable, which you may have already heard. But there was a story of the Buddha. He met a very, very impatient disciple. uh, And the disciple, he said, Buddha, Buddha, can you enlighten me right now? And the Buddha says, no, I can't enlighten you right now. It, it, it takes time. You have to cultivate these practices. He says, please, please, just, just enlighten me. Just, just I, you know, I got, I got a plane to catch. I got, a, I got to get out of here. Please, please. And the Buddha, he said, okay, here's what you do. When you eat, eat. When you walk, walk. And it really is just that simple. To do what you're doing right? To really be in it, right? You're not thinking about what's going to happen two years from now or two minutes. You're really in the moment. And this is what all the sages, all the gurus talk about, the power of the now. Yeah. It's funny, you and I were talking
3: beforehand about my newly discovered love of surfing. Mm. And that's really it, right? Is that when I am surfing, there is nothing else. Hmm you know, that's it. It is that moment entirely. Mm. All my attention, all my focus, it's just all right there. And that's probably the key to it is it does that better for me easier, right? That that state is easier for me to achieve on a surfboard mm. for some reason mm. than it is other times, but it's yeah. always worth striving for.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about flow. We're talking about being in the zone. We're talking about being in the now. I think it's the Japanese, they call it mushin. The Taoist, they call it the Tao, mm. right? That eternal nowness yeah. is what we're all looking for. And the funny thing is you're never not in it. It's just the mind that tries to go to the future or go back to the past and rehash that and this. The breath is a good doorway to the moment, to the now. You know, the breath is always there. And if we can just (sighs) come back to the breath, that will bring us to that place of beauty, you know, what we're all searching for. They say the true tragedy in life is not in how much we suffer, The true tragedy is how much we miss, how much of the beauty that we just walk past or run past, not even aware of what's happening. So to cultivate mindfulness, I think is the number one most important thing to really live a happy, fulfilled life. I've heard you say that you don't love that phrase,
3: because <laughs> who wants a full mind? Yeah. And it is a phrase that has gotten way overused, but it doesn't change the simple fact that being aware of what's going on in our mind and around us is kind of the whole game. Yeah. That's the cheat
0: code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the cheat code to beat the game. Yeah. That's that's it. Yeah. I don't like that. It's funny, I like you. You did, your, you did your homework. Yeah. Mindfulness is an Always. interesting... You know, language language is power. It depends on how I'm feeling, I guess, you know. But mindfulness, sometimes I use um awareness or mindful awareness, presence awareness. All of these are words that really point to the same thing, which is just coming back to the witness. Just witness. Don't get involved in the thoughts. Don't get in, just just witness. Just watch. There's a guy, Anthony DeMello. He said, Don't try to change your life. Just just watch it. And then it'll change. Then it'll yeah. change. Mm.
3: He is a great seer and his writing is very confrontational too. It is mm. no no BS. Like he's not soft footing around any of it. You no. know it Mm-mm. caught me off guard first reading it. I was a little bit like, whoa, hang on, buddy, take it down a notch. But wow. but he's speaking the truth, you know?
0: Yeah he's speaking the truth. Yeah. I think the truth sometimes has to be told in a way that shakes you up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, because we don't change when we're comfortable. That's a message for me. I think that's definitely part and parcel of my success. And it's something that I have to also remember that it really is about the package. It's about the package. It's it's not just about the message, but it's about the packaging, right? It's like if you go to a restaurant, it's a five-star Michelin restaurant, and the waiter brings out the food and they bring it out on a paper plate and give you some plastic utensils. <laughs> the packaging isn't right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's really, it's the same thing. The one you feed, how you serve the food has to be packaged in a way that I think really does justice to it. And I think what you're saying is Anthony DeMello, he was very, very forthcoming, very to the point, very poignant <laughs> yeah. uh, in, his, in the way that he communicated. And I love it. And I think the yeah. most powerful people, Martin Luther King, I mean, he Man, he that guy, he was cutting. Mm-hmm. He was cutting. He cut through. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Behind me, there's a statue of a Bodhisattva called Manjushri. Mm. And one of the reasons I love Manjushri is he's, you know, got one hand on like a lotus, right? But the other mm. one is holding a flaming sword. Mm. And that flaming sword's job is to cut through mm. ignorance. And that's kind of what we're saying here is sometimes that's the cutting that needs mm. to occur
0: that's beautiful. You got to send me a picture of that after we finish. I love that. <laughs> I've never heard of him. Yeah, he's a bodhisattva
3: in the Mahayana Buddhist tradition. Mm. So changing gears, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about you and your challenges of depression. Mm. You made a video with a I don't know what the group was. It's a group that supports mental illness recovery. Is it called Impact, maybe?
0: Mm, yeah.
3: It's quite a video of you've got depression as a person sitting in a in a crime room, right? Mm. I was really moved by it. But talk to me about, you know, when you had depression and what was it like?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up uh, on the north side of St. Louis and, you know, my family, we were very, like... I don't know, traditional in the sense of most people where I'm from, we don't really go to therapists. So I say that to say I was never clinically diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I never got on medication or anything like that. I didn't go to church or I know a lot of people are like, you know, just pray it away or, you know, Jesus will take the will and make it go away. I think there's an element of spirituality that can indeed help depressive states, yep. but I also think there's a science, and I think we need to kind of look to the science. I love the Dalai Lama. I know he's in some in some hot water these days. He always says, "Hey, if science disagrees with uh, Buddhism, we might have to rethink." Buddhist yeah. teachings, and I, I love that. I say that to say I was not never clinically depressed, but I looked at all the symptoms, and I definitely experienced depression throughout my adolescence. And also, I do feel as though just my own awareness that my brain that I have could be biochemically. I, I believe that it may lean naturally towards that state because I know that if I don't ingest certain minerals supplements, do certain things, it just kind of goes that way. Mm -hmm. It can still be here, but I've also trained it through different therapies, CBT, REBT. Buddhist tradition is also a good uh, fortification of the mind and to not believe in the thinking mind. Stoicism, I can kind of rally off all the names of the things that I've studied to help me. But it all started, I think, like I said, my adolescence, definitely experienced you know, some suicidal thoughts. They weren't like every day, but there were some points where I woke up and I just didn't want to be here, didn't care about my appearance, didn't care about friends, just didn't want to go outside. Right? These are kind of classic depressive symptoms. And then I just started looking into it. I just started trying to understand it and came across a book from David Burns. Called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. Came across books like The Tao De Ching. Came across traditions like Advaita Vedanta. Say that you were not these thoughts. You are not the thinking mind. Thoughts come and go like clouds in the sky. Watch your thoughts like you're crossing the street and you watch traffic. So these different things, what they did was they gave me distance. They gave me distance from the thoughts. I wasn't the thought itself. I wasn't tied up in it. I could actually observe it. I could watch it. I could be mindful of it. And just that awareness was a huge relief, a huge relief. Mm-hmm. But I think the depression was also a bit of a gift because it allowed me to look within and, you know, find out what was going on under the hood. You know, what kind of nutrient therapies, amino acids could I play with to change the hormonal balance in my brain? So I always tell people, that think that they are depressed. I say, you are not depressed. You are experiencing depression. Who you are is not depressed. Who you are can observe that depression. And it's difficult to understand that when you're in it. Learned helplessness is a huge thing. But I love the work of, um, he was a scientist and he created something called Learned Optimism. And I think we can retrain our brains, as we were talking about earlier, to see the good, to see the positive, to just shift our perceptions there are so many tools that I always tell people it's not hopeless. It's not a hopeless situation that you're in. In fact, you should be very hopeful because there are so many tools out there in our modern world today that you just have to find it. You have to find the right one that works for you. So, you know, going back to my story, I think depression played a role. If it, it forced me to try to understand it. And I think at one level, it also allowed me to bring out the creativity inside of me to bring out the vulnerability inside of me. You know, I started out as a musician. And, you know, a musician is like a poet, is a very vulnerable art form. And so I was very vulnerable and very vocal about what I was going through. And, you know, when I would create music, I would find my audience. They would say, oh, I, f- I feel the exact same way. Thank you for putting that out there. And then that's how you build community. That's how you build friendships. That's how you build connection. Connection came from the expression, which some say is the opposite of depression. <laughs> depression, while you know, I think it is a virus, I think that it can also be an opportunity, uh, an opportunity, a signal, an alarm that something's off. You may not be living the life that you're meant to live.
3: Yeah, I'm very similar to you. I think I have a brain that orients towards that direction when I let yeah. it off its leash, you know. <laughs> and I, like you, have found that there's a lot of different things that contribute to managing it. There's a lot of different tools. And I've had to, over the years, kind of put together my little depression recovery mm. kit. You know, mine's mm. going to look different than other people's. But yeah. but knowing what's in that kit becomes very important. Mm. And as you were talking about the thoughts, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, part of the problem with depression is that when I'm in it, when I'm experiencing it, I like your phrase, when I'm experiencing it, right? I can know that my thoughts are not correct. Yeah. I can be like, look, you know, your brain's not working real well today. Mm. And, you know, ignore those thoughts. Yeah. And underneath it, there's still this like, ugh, yeah. Feeling, you know? Yeah. And I've talked on this show many times about sometimes I treat it a little bit like the, I call it the emotional flu, you know? Mm. Which mm. is that when it comes, I treat it a little bit like I would the flu, meaning I don't make a big fuss out of it. I don't take myself to the emergency room. I make sure, am I doing everything I can to support myself? I know that while I'm sick, the world's going to look kind of crappy, you know, I let it kind of roll. Now that's again, after having dealt with it head on. So I'm not saying that's always the case, but Mm. for me, becoming aware of the fact that like, there's some degree of this low mood that feels like it's a companion of mine Mm. that doesn't seem like it's going to completely go away. So how do I work with it as skillfully as I can? And Mm. to your point, you know, what opportunities does it present? You know, I wouldn't be doing the work I do like you if I hadn't had it. You know, I wouldn't be doing the work I do if I hadn't been a heroin addict. I mean, all yeah. these things contribute to hmm. our lives being meaningful. They're part of
0: our story. That's it. I love the analogy of the puzzle pieces. Put in, and everybody has their own puzzle that yeah. they have to put together, right? Like, I think social support for just the human species is yeah. it works <laughs> right so that's a big one yeah the thing about depression is like when you're in it that's the last thing you want is to be around people yeah the very thing that can allow you to come out of it is the thing that you're like pushing away, which is another trick. Totally. Even things like movement,
3: right? Like we know movement, movement. helps, right. but the right. last thing you want to do is move <laughs> when you're feeling depressed. Exactly. It, it is challenging in that way. Yep. How do you work through that?
0: Well, you know, I haven't had the need to work through it lately, Yeah. but in the past... Well, just that book, right? So that book by David Burns is so powerful, right? You know the book, right? I do, yeah, yeah. So this book actually created a practice of its own called bibliotherapy. People got better just by reading the book. It's got so many tools in it. I think if you read the book or if you study CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, or as I like to call it, crushing bad thoughts, (laughs) you will find a list of 10 cognitive distortions print this list out, put it on your refrigerator, put it anywhere that you can see it. Because I feel like whenever we suffer, 99% of the times, it is because of one of these 10 cognitive distortions, period. But when you see it, you can see, oh, there it is. My brain's just trying to trick me again. Right? So you observe it. Yes. Depression is something you really can't Think your way out of it. You can't intellectualize your way out of it. This is why I think behavioral activation is one of the more successful treatments for depression. Moving. But like you say, you don't wanna move. So this is why having that good social support, that network is so, so important. That's the biggest thing. I mean, this is the reason why I like to study cultures. You know, I got my degree in anthropology and I love Dan Butner's work on the blue zones, mm-hmm. where you have people, right? People who are, you know, centenarians. They live well past one hundred years old and They're healthy. They're happy. They're vibrant. They're still having sex. They're still, you know, watering their gardens. They're still playing (laughs) with their great, great grandkids. They're still riding the bike. And, you know, this has baffled a lot of scientists for years. And they really finally figured out why they live so long. And it's because of their friendships, it's because of the love that they have around, right? They, a lot of them have the same friends that they had when they were kids. When they were 10 now and they're 110, they have the same people around them. So the human animal, I think we do need each other. And uh, when we get in these low mood states, we have to trust the people around us.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think that's really true mm. and really important. And those other people can be the things that do help us do mm. some of the things that we need to do you know, Mm. that are good for us. But one of my favorite quotes is depression hates a moving target, right? (laughs) So so for me, that's kind of it. It's like, just get off the couch. It doesn't even matter what, just be moving, you know, and how much I'm able to do may vary. I may be like, well, you know, today I'm not going to get on the Peloton bike and do a crushing hour ride, but I might walk, you know, around the block.
0: Yeah. Here's something else. You don't even have to move, but it simulates moving, but a sauna, a sauna or an ice bath, Both of those things, I mean, you can just sit there, (laughs) right? And you are making physiological changes in your body. You are helping your nervous system. You are fighting depression when you just sit there. So uh, you can sweat it out Mm. and you can shiver it out too. Yeah, Or you can do both. That's my favorite, back and forth. Back and forth, okay. (laughs) Yeah, but you
3: brought up sauna. So you've got a fairly new podcast that you do... In a sauna, you basically Mm. have people come join you in the sauna. Why'd you choose to do a podcast in the sauna?
0: You know, I just like doing stuff that's never been done. Yeah. I am one who takes the road less traveled or or not even paved, I should say. So I wanted to do something different. Mm. And also I've had a lot of good conversations inside of saunas, you know, at the gym, at the club, you know. So it's like, what about having conversations with celebrity scientists? cool people, just uh, inside of a sauna, as we as we sweat out the toxins and the BS, well, what's what can happen? <laughs> yeah. So we landed on a sauna. We tried to figure out how to get the equipment inside the sauna without melting. We figured it out. And it sounds really good. I was like, I can't believe how good this sounds for being in a sauna. Mm, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's that's my producer Dustin. He works magic. But we got it. It's an infrared sauna. It's not a dry sauna, so it doesn't get that hot. But so we do twenty minutes. In the sauna, and then we do another 20 minutes outside the sauna for like what we call a hydration session, where we sit, we get like a foot bath with Epsom salt, we drink uh, <laughs> coconut water, and we continue the conversation in our bathrobes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good podcast gig. I haven't had any complaints. All the
3: guests, they love it. Come by, we can we can get in. All right, I will take you up on that. Awesome. given our Instagram account a new look and we're sharing content there that we don't share anywhere else. Encouraging positive posts with wisdom that support you in feeding your good wolf, as well as some behind-the-scenes video of the show and some of Ginny and I's day-to-day life, which I'm kind of still amazed that anybody would be interested in. It's also a great place for you to give us feedback on the episodes that you like, or concepts that you've learned that you think are helpful, or any other feedback you'd like to give us. If you're on Instagram, follow us at @one underscore you, underscore feed, and those words are all spelled out, one, underscore you, underscore feed, to add some nourishing content to your daily scrolling. See you there. The
4: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters.
2: any disease so i want
3: to talk a little bit about meditation it's a Mm. big thing in your life a practice you're really into and i wanted to just sort of start and ask you a little bit about what is the type of meditation you're doing these Mm. days how has that changed over time how does it vary week to week month to month i'm just kind of Mm. curious how you approach that big topic
0: first of all i want to say i love your questions I love your vibe. I'm so excited to talk about these questions because they're super important. I don't think there's anything more important than the topic of meditation. I do believe that meditation is the antivirus software that can cure our world of all of its ills. Meditation is not something you do. It's actually a state of being. I think there are portals into that state, but I think the portals have gotten a bit confused but the portals of meditation, they vary, right? I'm a big Tantra guy. Mm-hmm. And I know people listening to this, they might say, oh, Tantra, Oh, you must have crazy wild sex, huh? I'm like, no, 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 no. See, this is what the commercialization of spirituality has done. Mm-hmm. T- so Tantra is a science. And one of my favorite books, the Vinyana Baharava Tantra, it speaks of 112... Tantric practices to reach the point of what they call Baharava, oneness, Krishna consciousness, Christ consciousness, whatever name, nirvana, Mm -hmm. only two of them have to do with sex. One that has to do with sex really doesn't even have to do with sex. What it is, is they say at the point of orgasm, you put your mind fully on God. So I love the practices of Tantra because they take... Meditation, I'm using air quotes, they take meditation off the mat. Mm -hmm. They take it out of Lotus and bring it in the world, right? Yeah. One of my favorite is space, spatial awareness, right? So I don't know if people are driving. If you're driving, don't do this, but if you're sitting in a room or maybe when you pull over or you sit in your office, I want you to just look around and ask yourself, what do you see? And when I ask people this question, they say, oh, well, I, I see chairs, I see a desk, I see a window, I see people. And I say, okay, yeah, but you miss that which was most abundant, the space which allows all that to inhabit. The space is what we are, space. I feel like if there's any religion or any God that should be worshiped, it should be space because space is the most abundant thing in the universe. Matter is very, very, very tiny. Any any physicist will tell you this, but this is just one to really focus on the space. You can focus on the space in between my words. So when you're speaking to somebody, you put your mind attention on the space. And what happens is your mind starts to take the form of the space. So this is something that people can do anywhere, anywhere. It really brings you to this non-dual awareness, this peace, this feeling of home. One of my favorite gurus, Nisargadatta Maharaj, he's got a quote that I have on my wall. And he says, he says, having never left the house, you have been searching for the way home. Having never left the house, you have been searching for the way home. We search and search and search in life for joy and happiness and fulfillment and what he's saying is it's already here. It's you. It's not something you even have to do. It's your very nature. It's here and now. I love this practice, this tantric practice. One other meditation that people can do in their daily life that I like to do from time to time is a walking meditation that I got from Thich Han. The Zen Monk, uh, best-selling author. We mentioned Martin Luther King earlier. Martin Luther King nominated Thich Nhat Han for a Nobel Peace Prize. And what you do is when you're walking, you can be in nature, you can be in your office. When you're walking, you want to focus on your breath. And with each step, you want to breathe in. And as you breathe in, you say to yourself, "I'm here." And you breathe out on the exhale, you say, I am home. So I am here on the inhale. I am home on the exhale. And you do this as you walk. And as you walk, you imagine your feet are kissing the earth with every step. So you say, I am here. I am home. And as you walk, you kiss the earth with every step. And what you're going to notice is your pace is going to slow down and you are going to be filled with so much joy and presence and aliveness with this meditation. So this is another one of my favorites. Let me give you three just to finish the Trinity off. (laughs) Uh, Let's see what else I got. So this is one that I got from a guy named uh, Stephen Walensky. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Stephen Walensky. I'm not. I've followed you on all the references so far, but you've got one here. I don't know. Okay, so Stephen Walensky is like, there's a few people that I want to meet in the world I could probably count him with one hand and he's probably at the top of my list okay he's an author he's written so many beautiful books he's done documentaries I have no idea where he is now he kind of just disappeared he's probably in deep meditation somewhere he was a disciple of the guy that I mentioned the Sargadatta Maharaj and Stephen Walensky had a meditation where what you do is you well you, first you obviously you you know you bring yourself to this moment you relax your face your jaw your eyes your shoulders take a breath And then you ask yourself, without using your thoughts, associations, perceptions, emotions, or memories, am I an American? Am I Russian? Am I Ukrainian? Am I Canadian? Or neither? And then you do that again. You say, without using your thoughts, Associations, perceptions, emotions, or memories. Am I black? Am I white? Am I Asian? Or neither? And then you go deeper. You say, without using your thoughts, associations, perceptions, emotions, or memories, am I a man? Am I a woman? Or neither. And then you go deeper. Without using your thoughts, associations, perceptions, emotions, or memories. Am I a human being? Am I even a spiritual being? Or neither? And what you do is you stay in this gentle, non-judgmental, awareness. This is our true nature. Uh, this is home. This is who we always were, without a name, without a label. Mm. This is why the, uh, the Hindus, if you look at the Sanskrit word nirvana, people think nirvana is this state of uh, just ecstasy and amazing bliss. Actually, the word nirvana means extinction. There's no more you there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that meditation alone, I think, is a shortcut to pretty much what every spiritual tradition points to, which is the oneness.
3: <laughs> right. What's really interesting about that type of meditation, as you said, is getting to that place when you've suddenly said, "I'm not any of those things." Mm. Mm. To go, well, what am I? And to really <laughs> look at that. Mm. And if you're able to stay with it, you know, my experience is what you will find is like, I uh, I don't know. Yeah. But as you were talking, I can never pronounce that spiritual teacher's name. Uh, mm. Nisargadatta N-
0: Maharaj.
3: Yeah. You know, he's got that idea of, you know, you abide with that sense of I am. Yeah, right? that's it. Nothing after it. I am. Because when you do that, you're like, well, I'm clearly there's something here, like something mm. is, but but what is it? Mm. Where is it? What shape yeah. is it? You just suddenly start going like, well, I, I don't know. There's nothing yeah. here that to find. Yeah. And it's a mystifying, sometimes mildly disconcerting state, if you can mm. get to it, but
0: also deeply freeing. Only for the mind. Only for the mind. That's fair. Yeah, Because the yeah. mind wants to figure it out. It wants to objectify that which cannot be objectified. Yep. The eye cannot see itself. The knife cannot cut itself the mind cannot truly know itself, what's what's behind it. You can't get there with the mind. It's not the right tool. I think the last step of the inquiry is when the questions themselves disappear. Yep. I was
3: out today. I've been meditating in nature recently. Mm. I'm teaching Mm -hmm. a retreat this summer at Kripalu um, about nature and connecting with nature as a way. And so I've been really engaging in that practice. Mm -hmm. And I started reflecting on something I heard recently. It was was some book about human development or evolutionary past. Mm. And that there was a time that we were human, Mm -hmm. but we didn't have language. Mm -hmm. To imagine what that might be like Mm. is a fascinating thought experiment. Hmm. Because most of our thoughts are words that we're saying to ourselves. But if you didn't have those words, what is hmm. the experience of being? Hmm. And I found that it's a really interesting thing to reflect on, you know, hmm. and I do that sometimes is like to your point, if hmm. not using hmm. memories, you know, not using language even, yeah. What is this? Hmm. Is a really powerful way for me to get closer to that state of being.
0: Wow. Yeah, because the word is not the thing, right? Right. It's the, it's, the, the uh, Tao that can be named is mm, not the Tao, Tao right? Yeah. Yep. 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 So that's how we get caught up. We get caught up in the words. So that's a fascinating thought experiment. <laughs> exactly. Well, but we must have been thinking. We
3: must have Something. been thinking, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but we didn't have the words, and it just—it's right. similar to me when I try and imagine what it might be like to be an octopus, for example. It's mm. just a fun way of trying huh. to say like there are states of consciousness that are. Mm very different than the ones we inhabit.
0: 100%. And what
3: are the different ways of kind of getting closer to those and being able mm. to see with those eyes? Mm. I'm a Zen practitioner primarily, and one of my teachers said to me once, and I thought this was so wise, we do a lot of koan practice in yeah, Zen. right? Great. And they're nonsense, right? At first glance, they're nonsense. But the advice I was given is sometimes imagine what the state of mind mm. would have to be for the person who said that and believes it to be true. Instead of going, that doesn't make any sense. That's nonsense to say, what state of mind would I have to be in that that Mm. would be true? It's a, it's sort of a reverse engineering way of entering into the mind. And you can't do it exactly. These are all just tools, Mm. portals to use your word, Mm. right? Mm. You know, that's another one is when a spiritual teacher says something that you're like, that, that sounds nuts. Mm. One way of approaching it is go, well, what would their mind state have to be for that to be true? Mm. You know, we're
0: just kind of playing with ways of getting deeper. Powerful. That's, I mean, yeah. I got, you can't see, I got chill bumps here. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That That's empathy, right? Empathy, the Greek word to see through the eye of the other. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, there's a, another meditation that I love. It's called to install the guru. Mm. So what you do is is You visualize your guru or your teacher, your enlightened master, and from the feet to the head, you imagine that their body merges with yours. You have installed the guru into this self, which is very similar. Like what state of mind would that have to be in, right, to believe that? Powerful. Love that, Eric. So good. So good.
5: any disease. Do you have a spiritual
3: teacher that you actually work with or do you feel like your spiritual teachers are primarily the people that you read? I mean, I know you're a voracious reader just mm-hmm. just as I am. Do you have teachers that you actually work with or has it been more your sort of quote-unquote gurus are the people we've talked about that you're reading?
0: Yeah, yeah, the latter. I've definitely attended s- seminars and like Byron Katie and mm-hmm. love her, Ganga Gangaji and Eli Jackson Bear, who were disciples of a man named Papa G. And, you know, I'm being around some of these people, but never on like a one-to-one student disciple. I've never had that, but I've just been so touched by so many masters. You know, I think Ram Das was one of my first on-ramps into spirituality. Mm-hmm. Him and, you know, Timothy Leary, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. I'm a big science guy too. So people say, oh, science and spirituality, they don't go together. Why not? Well, science is the empirical pursuit of the truth yeah. and spirituality is the experiential pursuit for the nature of what's real.
3: Yeah. They should go together. They should, I mean, yeah. because
0: you're seeking the truth in both cases. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I never had a direct teacher. I think that that's not to say I never will I do believe that everything that we need is within us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are graced to be able to see that. And sometimes people need a master or a guru to point to it and tell them that actually you're already that. You don't even need me.
3: Yeah. 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 All these stories of people like Ram Das when they saw their guru and they instantly mm-hmm. were like transformed has made it difficult for me to work with Zen teachers, which I found to be beneficial working one-on-one with a teacher Mm. because my mind is always like, well, is this a truly enlightened being? And it's kind of silly, right, in a way, Mm. because it's almost they're more like a spiritual friend than they are Mm. like a guru, right? But in the Zen tradition, there are, I don't like this word, but I don't have a better one. There are correct responses to koans that have been passed (laughs) down for thousands of years. And your teacher is the one who's like, Yep. Good. Let's go on to the next one. Or, mm. you know, very politely, some are more polite than others, you know, mm. you need to sit with that some more is, yeah. is what my teacher would always say, which was a yeah. polite way
0: of saying, nope, you do not have yeah. it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I love koans, by the way. And I'm so happy that you study that. I've got books this thick on all the koans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's what I've gotten from it is actually you become the answer. That's exactly it. The answer is always that.
3: You know, it's a little of that game we talked about a minute ago. Like, what would it be like Mm. to be in (laughs) the mind? You know, what would Mm. it be like to be the distant temple bell ringing? (laughs) You know, that's Mm. one. How do you stop the sound of a distant temple bell ringing? Right. (laughs) Well, you can't get to it. Right. You know, and so it's about you become that thing. Some of it, to me, has been an imaginative exercise, which Mm. turns out to be a
0: powerful approach. Love that. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Koans. Oh, my. What's what's my favorite koan? Yeah. The sound of one hand clapping. Classic. Probably the most famous one. Yeah. Yeah. Does a dog have Buddha nature? Moo. Uh, Moo. Yeah, exactly. Classic Um, moo. Yeah. It's so so many beautiful ones. So many. and They're great. I love them so much. Yeah. (laughs)
3: There's a book that you might like if you haven't read it. It's called Bring Me the Rhinoceros, maybe?
0: That sounds very Koan-like. Yeah,
3: yeah. Bring Me the Rhinoceros by a Zen teacher named John Tarrant, T-A-R-R-A-N-T. It's another one of those where, yeah, I mean, basically that's the end of the Koan, Bring Me the Rhinoceros, which of course is just nonsensical, but you know. So good. But that's a really great book about koans and about mm. sort of a modern approach. And he's okay. a beautiful writer and teacher. He's really gifted. Mm. If you're into koans, that's definitely one to read. Okay. Bring Me yeah. the Rhinoceros. I'll write it down now. Bring me the right Bring me the rhino. Cool. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I loved what you said about meditation, about bringing them into more of the moments of our lives, taking them out of, you know, just a formal sitting practice. I've got a program called spiritual habits, where we try and take the science of behavior change and apply it to spiritual principles. And that's really the key piece is like, Mm -hmm. it's great to believe in these things. It's great to think about these things, but you need them in the moments of your life. And so you're talking about doing that. Do you have a formal practice that you do regularly? Or is it kind of just depend on different phases of your life different things?
0: Mm, I don't have a formal practice. It is very spontaneous. I think throughout the day what I find happening is just a reflex to come back to the here and now mm. but I don't do the you know the 30 minutes in the morning or mm-hmm. osho I think you know he, he said man actually I think it can be useful, but I think when meditation becomes regimented, very militarized. We can miss the the beauty, the life of it, the spontaneity of it. So of more interest than that actually is what you just said,
3: which is you reflexively come back more to the present moment. How did you train yourself to do that? Because what I think is one of the biggest problems To what we're talking about, which is having these moments throughout our day where we connect back to Mm. the moment, our deeper nature, whatever you want to connect back to, is that Mm. we forget. Yeah. We get busy and we forget. And so to me, the holy grail is when you begin to sort of, as you're saying, you've trained this into yourself a little bit. So it is a little bit more habitual to turn back towards the present moment or turn Mm -hmm. back towards your deeper nature. And so it sounds like you have done that to some degree. Are you able to think back to how you got there?
0: Well, I think there's different paths for different people. Mm -hmm. I feel that it is good to have like In the beginning, to have structure pockets within your day that maybe you do nothing. Maybe you're just in a state of wonder or just give yourself that space, that openness, that awareness. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was really the practice of self-inquiry, asking myself repeatedly, who am I? To whom do these thoughts come to? To whom do these thoughts come to? To whom do these thoughts come to? (laughs) And recognizing that, number one, there's no verbal or intellectual answer to that. The question just dissolves, and it was at that deep recognition that I realized that a lot of the spirituality, just like a lot of the psychology, is is kind of just a game of the mind, and I think once you recognize your true nature, you're kind of out of the game. That glimpse, you just can't unsee it. Yeah. You just can't go back to, I think, how it was if you really saw the illusion for what it is. You can't really get, in my experience... In this one's experience, you can't really get caught up. So I think really recognizing it first and not just from an intellectual level, but really from a deep scene. Because, you know, so many teachers, uh, even like Adi Ashanti and so many teachers. They, One of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. What well, they, they speak about like it just being an accident. They say meditation makes you more accident prone. Right. Yep. But it's like it's it just kind of graced. So for me, it was that practice of, of self-inquiry that Ramana Maharshi, the sage of Arunachala, his words of to whom do the thoughts come to? Where do they arise and what do they subside to? <laughs> yeah. Just that recognition. The more that you see it, the more that the pockets of awareness and the space is going to arise. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about the meditation on space and all that,
3: it made me think of there used to be this meditation app on the phone. This was a long time ago. And it Mm -hmm. has since I don't know what it's called. It never got updated. You can't use it anymore. But Mm -hmm. it was this kind of amazing app where it would play a sound. I don't remember what Mm -hmm. it was, whether it was a little bit of music or or what it was. But your Mm -hmm. job was to tap the button when the sound went away. And so what you were watching for was that disappearance. You were watching for things that have come into existence to disappear from existence. And it was just a totally different way of doing it than what most of us are doing. And I loved that app. I wish it still existed because it was just a fun... Mm. And when I say fun, I I mean like I enjoyed doing it. It was effortless to kind of sit and do it. You know, you can do that with anything, right? We can go outside and do it, right? We can notice the sound when it comes,
0: mm. but we can also notice when it's gone yeah. and be like, well, where'd it go? That's it. I love that. I love it. We might have to work on that and get that app back up and running or create our own. That's. I'm down if you, you want to partner on that for sure. Great. Awesome.
3: I want to ask you a question. I've heard you use this phrase before, and you've talked mm-hmm. about the world being not insane, mm. but unsane. I'm just curious, that's an interesting slight change of words there. Mm. Talk to me about what those two
0: things mean to you. Well, like all words, uh, they're all useless. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But for me, insanity is one thing. Actually, I believe I got this phrase from Alfred Korzybski, author of Science and Sanity. Beautiful book. Korzybski created a language called English Prime. And in this language, this is a very scientific language, you don't use the verb to be. You don't say, uh, this is a microphone. This is a mason jar. You say, this appears to be a mason jar. This appears to be a microphone. Hmm. And his whole premise on doing that is because absolutism and certainty has created so much harm And violence in our world. And when we can get more skeptical about our language, like we said earlier, the word is not the thing, the map is not the territory. It humbles us. You don't say, oh, Bob is angry. You can say, Oh, Bob appears to be angry right now. It softens us. Yeah. It's more aligned with reality. So the unsane mindset is I think the mindset of certainty of This is the way it is, but for me, I always prefer to, as the Taoists say, the "I don't know" mind, or the Buddhists say, the beginner's mind. Right? The expert. What's the old saying? You probably know this one. In the beginner's mind, there are many many possibilities. Many possibilities.
3: Experts, there's few, or yeah, something like that. Yeah.
0: So I think the world we're very definite. We don't have that level of, of doubt or uncertainty to say, maybe I'm wrong. or It's just a beautiful state of being to be able to say, I don't know. Because it's like in our world, you turn on the news, everybody knows. Everybody is so 100% certain about everything. Oh, so
3: certain. I know. There's that great Bertrand Russell quote, which is, I won't get it right, but it's something like, the problem with the world is that the intelligent are uncertain about things, Mm. and the idiots are so sure of themselves, right? Like, I butchered that. Someone I'm sure can Mm. create it. But it was this idea that so many people are so certain of themselves, Mm. and usually their certainty is problematic.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and this is what I call not insanity, but unsanity. That's a good
3: word for it, because insanity has a more specific framework versus Mm -hmm. unsanity. I like that. You've given me two different authors that I've never heard of, which happens so rarely on
0: this show. Uh, I'm
3: so excited. Yeah.
0: I feel like we're going to do that for each other. The Bodhisattva behind you, I don't have no idea. I hope we have a great uh, friendship, and I'd love to compare (laughs) notes on all of these amazing things. But I think what we're doing here is really bringing people to a more sane way of living and viewing to know something means that that something is dead yeah. you can never know your partner you can never know them because they're always changing. They're a living organism. They're taking in new information. They have so many dimensions. But we think we do. Them. It's that looking again,
3: looking more yeah. closely. And In, in yeah. Zen, we would say not knowing is most intimate. And I love that idea. Because when you don't know something, you give it your attention. And that's where intimacy arises. When you know something, you stop looking. Your intimacy fades.
0: Mm, that's it. Love it.
3: Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, we are near the end of our time. Any sort of last thing you'd like to leave listeners with
0: based on where your heart and mind is right now? I think from what we spoke about, if somebody listening, maybe just one person is kind of aligned or feels something about what we said to really go into a deep with your full heart. And we talked a lot about space. We talked a lot about silence and meditation And one of my favorite quotes is from Rumi. He says, silence is the language of God. All else is poor translation.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful place to leave it. Thank you so much. This has been deeply enjoyable. I'm so glad
0: to have gotten to have you on. Yeah, so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Let's do it again. Yeah. In the sauna, maybe. Okay.
2: any disease.